Father, we fail to express the praise you truly deserve. But from tainted minds and sinful hearts, we lift up as best we can you who are worthy of all praise and all glory, both now and forever. Lord, we come into your presence and we confess any and all sin. We dare not expect to understand or be able to receive that which is heavenly truth when we have allowed sin into our hearts. And so we ask for cleansing right now that we might think, that we might feel, that we might be able to receive that which is from above since we are here below. God, I ask for your sovereign enablement to preach your word as it deserves to be preached. I ask that you would grant me a liberty and a freedom. Father, your favor and blessing to rest on me that your people might be fed and fed well. They need to hear from you. And so I pray that you would speak through me by the power of your spirit and your holy word. And it is this we pray in the name above all names, Jesus. Amen. The English love their royalty, do they not? Royal marriages and royal babies being born and royal jubilees like the one a couple years ago. 2012 marked the diamond jubilee of Queen Elizabeth Alexandra Mary Windsor II. Man, is that a mouthful. Age of 86, she celebrated her 60th anniversary of the ascension to the throne And here she is hosting a Diamond Jubilee lunch for 26 kings and queens around the world. No wonder I wasn't invited. (laughs) People also flocked to just get a glimpse of her as she drove by, ridden by, in an open horse-drawn carriage. And the crowds just swarmed to see her. They lined the roads, and they dressed up in their best, and they waved those little British flags. 2,000 years ago, there was a much different celebration. The crowds didn't line the road for a queen, but for a king. And they didn't wave little British flags, but they waved palm branches. There was no regal horse-drawn carriage, but a little lowly donkey carrying a very precious soul. And they weren't yelling, long live the queen, but they were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And the story unfolds and is recorded for us in the book of John, chapter 12. And I invite you to take your Bibles, if you have one, and turn to John, chapter 12. And in this chapter, we watch the triumphal entry of our Lord, now celebrated as we know Palm Sunday. As the Lord came into town that day, it was the feast of celebration known as Passover. It marked God's deliverance of his people from slavery in Egypt. And the people had sacrificed lambs and marked their doorways with the blood of that lamb in faith that the death angel would pass over and they would be spared. Jerusalem at this time just is swelling with numbers of people and excitement is in the air. And it is in this setting that Jesus rides into town. 
and with the bleeding of sheep that will be offered at the sacrifice at the temple, it is the Lamb of God who enters in, and he will be sacrificed for your sins and my sins so that we could be saved eternally. And on that day, he stared death in the face, and he said, I will go to Jerusalem for you. I will go to Jerusalem knowing what awaits me because I have amazing love for you, amazing grace. Verse 12 of John chapter 12. On the next day, the crowd who had come to the feast when they had heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem took the branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him and began to shout, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Jesus, finding a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. These things his disciples did not understand at the first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written of him and that they had done these things to him. So the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to testify about him. For this reason also the people went and met him because they had heard that he had performed the sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are not doing any good. Look, the world has gone after him. Palm Sunday reminds us of many things. Some of these things are as follows. Number one, Palm Sunday reminds us to worship his majesty. He truly is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. It says on the next day, verse 12, what day? Well, it was the day after Jesus had visited Mary and Martha and Lazarus in Bethany, which is only two miles away, about a 40-minute walk. What day? It was the day after he was anointed with costly perfume by Mary, which caused Judas to get upset of this waste, and he would rebuke Mary only to have him be rebuked by the Lord. What day? It was the next day when the crowds had gathered at the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus to see Jesus and to see this one Lazarus who was raised from the dead. What day? It was a day when many were believing, we are told in Scripture, because of the testimony of what had happened with Lazarus. So on the next day, the large crowd had come to the feast. They had gathered for Passover. And Jerusalem, like any major city, has times of the year when it swells in number. Chicago throughout the year will have special events when the numbers in the city will swell. The biggest one every year in Chicago is the water and air show. There'll be an influx of over 2 million people for that air and water show. The next one will be August 16th and 17th. I'm staying away. (laughs) The historian Josephus estimated the Passover crowd at 2.7 million people in A.D. 64 and 65, not counting foreigners. So it's safe to say every Passover, at least 2 million people would make the pilgrimage into the city of Jerusalem to take part in the Passover celebration. Amazes me that God is not intimidated by large numbers as some people are. He's never been intimidated by large numbers, never has been, never will. Some Christians, though, they don't like large gatherings of God's people in worship. Got news for you, you're not going to like heaven. (laughs) Revelation 7, 9, after these things I looked and behold a great number, which what? No one could count. Every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes. And what were they holding? 
palm branches were in their hands, and they cry with a loud voice saying, salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Don't ever be afraid of big, especially when it comes to worship. Big worship is beautiful worship. That's what God teaches us. The crowds gather and they give a royal reception. The excitement has been building. Jesus is coming. He's been causing quite a stir. And they've heard that he's coming to Jerusalem. And those already in the city then make their way back out for a little distance. Just to see him. Just to meet him. Just to gaze upon the one that they've heard. He's fed 5,000 people with a boy's lunch. Who is this man? He's calmed the storm with his words. Hush, be still. Who can do that? He's healed people of diseases, telling them to arise and walk. We want to see this man. He's cast out legions of demons, and he's raised the dead, even calling one forth from the grave. The people are excited. He's a prophet. He's a king. He's the anointed one. He's the Christ. He's the Messiah. And the crowd just continues to want to see him. And he begins to overshadow any and all the other festivities. Everybody's talking about Jesus, not Passover. Everybody's focused on Jesus as well he should be focused on. We gather in the name of Jesus, and we gather for the glory of Jesus. We gather for Jesus. That's why we gather. They have these palm branches in their hand. You may say, why? What's with a palm branch? What's the significance? What does it mean? It's a good question. It is a symbol of military victory. It is a symbol of nationalistic hope. That's what those palm branches are. At the rededication of the temple in 164 BC, the people waved palm branches. When the Jews gained full independence under Simon in 141 BC, the people waved palm branches. Even minted palm branches on their coins at one point in defiance of the Roman Empire. Why? Because they wanted the victory from Rome. It was a symbol of victory. So as they wave the palm branches, they are waving to Jesus saying, you are our victor. You are our deliverer. You will save us from Rome. That's what they were doing. They were rolling out the red carpet for their conquering king. They were throwing a ticker tape parade ahead of time for their their victorious general. That's what they were doing. Shouts of praise rang out. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And shout literally is the imperfect tense continually shouting. Large crowds can be very loud crowds. And what they're doing is they're, they're cheering for their star player as if he's on the team. He, he's, he's the star. He, he's going to win the game for him is who he is. They shout Hosanna comes from Psalm 118.25. It's part of what's known as the Hallel. Psalm 113 to 118. It would be sung every single morning by the temple choir during certain feast times. It means save us. Save now. Save, I pray. And again, they meant save us from Rome. But Jesus came to save from a much greater enemy. Sin. See, they kept thinking physical And God keeps thinking spiritual. And you and I do the same thing. We think the physical is the most important. And God is saying it's about the spiritual. Stop prioritizing the physical in your life and start prioritizing the spiritual, what counts for eternity. He's saying this is not about saving you physically from Rome. This is about saving you eternally from your sin. And he's the only one that can do it. 
They call out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You are the blessed one. You, you are God's envoy, God's representative, God's messenger, God's servant. The hand of God is on you. The favor of God is on you. You are God's ambassador. And by the way, that's what you are too. You who know Jesus as your Savior, you are God's ambassador. 2 Corinthians 5.20, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. As ambassadors, God appeals through us to this world. And our message to this world is, God will save you. God will reconcile you. How's the ambassadorship going? He says, I want to appeal through you to this lost and dying world. I've put you in that neighborhood to reach those neighbors for Christ. Tell them they can be reconciled to me. Be my ambassador. I've put you at that place of work so that you would be my ambassador. So that I would appeal through you to those lost co-workers. I've put you in that family. I've put you among those people. Be the ambassador that God has called you to be and let him appeal through you. They shout, even the king of Israel, giving him the messianic title, Christ, Messiah, anointed one, king. And by the way, Jesus fully accepts this praise as king, for he is the king of all kings and the Lord of lords. The royal bloodline of David runs through his veins, and he embodies perfect, sinless divinity. He is fully man. He is fully God. He is the king of all kings. Praise your king. Revelation 19 tells us he will rule them with a rod of iron. He he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty and on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, say it with me, King of kings and Lord of lords. Palm Sunday reminds us to worship his majesty. Palm Sunday reminds us of all things to believe the Bible. Believe the Bible and revere the Holy Scriptures. Jesus, in verse 14, finding a donkey, sat on it as it is written. Later on, verse 16, these things were written of him. Now, Jesus rides on a donkey, not very dignified. Not very impressive. I mean, you would assume a war horse if it's a general, honestly. A great stallion, a royal steed, something a little more regal and majestic to whip the crowd up into a nationalistic frenzy. I want you to understand that sometimes our expectations are not close to God's reality. Sometimes our expectations aren't even close to God's reality. As a matter of fact, the sad part is there are shouts of Hosanna to the king when in a matter of days turn into crucify him. Why? I'll tell you why. Because they let their disappointment in God turn their hearts away from God. Don't turn on God just because you don't understand God. You don't turn on God just because you don't understand God. Be careful of doing that. Be careful your praises don't turn into curses. Be careful your praises don't turn into self-pity. Because you thought God was going to do this, and you thought God would take care of it that way, and you thought God was going to help you out in this way, and all of a sudden your false expectations cloud your view of God. I want to let you know that many a man has looked like a fool and sounded like a fool because of his false expectations of God. Don't let your false expectations of God make you look like a fool and cause you to sound like a fool. 
Don't turn on God just because you don't understand God. He he rides on a donkey, and it's young, we're told here in verse 14, which means it's smaller. And they are bred smaller anyway in Israel than here in the States. But it's a donkey. Why this lowly donkey? Because it speaks of peace. It conveys gentleness. It displays humility and meekness. This is a special king coming to make peace, not make war. He's coming to make peace on your behalf before a holy and righteous God whose judgment hangs over your head because of all your sin and all my sin. And he has come to make peace with God so that you can be saved from your sin, so that you can be forgiven of every sin you have ever committed and he will cleanse you and wash you. That's why he came in peace, to make peace with the Father. He fulfills prophecy coming on this donkey. It's prophetic of Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation. He has salvation to grant to any and all. Humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus is the embodiment of perfect prophetic fulfillment. God's will must be done. God's word must be accomplished. Trust your Bible. Believe your Bible. Prophecy after prophecy after prophecy fulfilled, fulfilled, and fulfilled, and yet others yet to be fulfilled. Believe your Bible. It says here, fear not. There's no reason to fear when the all-powerful one who has all authority in the universe is present among you. He's the king of kings. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Soothing words to this oppressed people under Roman rule. It's a a poetic description for the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Your king is coming. That should help calm their fears. And by the way, that should help calm our fears because he's coming again. He's coming back. There is no reason to be afraid. He's coming again. Matthew 25, 31. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him and he will sit on his glorious throne. What a day. 1 Thessalonians 4. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. Revelation 1. Behold, he is coming with the clouds. Revelation 22. Yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The disciples, though, goes right over their heads. They they don't get any of this. Verse 16, they didn't understand this at first. It doesn't make any sense. They they didn't comprehend the nature of Jesus' kingship like most of the people in that day. There are some things we don't understand at first either. Tell you what would help, knowing the scriptures. You know your Bibles, it really helps understand. I, let me put it to you this way. The better you, you know the Word of God, the better you'll understand the work of God. The better you know the Word of God, the better you'll understand the work of God. That's why so many Christians are clueless. They don't spend any time in their Bibles. We, we need to be like the Berean believers of Acts 17. They were more noble-minded. Wow, why would God say they were noble-minded? They received the word with great eagerness. They wanted to hear the word of God preached. They wanted to hear the word of God taught. They wanted to read the word of God with great eagerness. And they examined the scriptures how often? Every single day. You want to be a noble Christian in the eyes of God? Get into the Bible every single day. 
Not once every couple days, not once a week, not when you get around to it, not when you're in a jam and, oh my goodness, God, you got to get me out of this. I better read my Bible. Every single day, study the scriptures, read your Bible, get into the word of God. Some things are over our heads, some things we don't understand at first, some things are simply beyond us. Isaiah 55, 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, it's pretty high, so are my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts than your thoughts. A preschool child cannot grasp calculus, no matter how hard you try to help them grasp it. It's not going to happen. Sometimes we struggle with simple subtraction. Sometimes we struggle with simple addition. Sometimes we struggle with subtraction. Subtraction in this life when a loved one dies, when a job is lost. We struggle with with those equations. Why, God? Sometimes we struggle with addition. The addition of sickness and suffering into our life and hardship and hurts into our life. And it just doesn't seem to make sense. Why, God? I'm not getting this equation. You must trust all equations over to God, even when they don't seem to add up, even when it doesn't make sense, even when in your eyes it seems like the wrong answer. God, this doesn't make sense. It's got to be the wrong answer. His ways are so much higher than our ways, and we have to trust those equations over to Him. Some things we have to wait on to understand. It, It says here they didn't understand them at first says, after Jesus was glorified, then they remembered these things were written of him. So, so then they had this aha moment. Oh, now it makes sense. The resurrection life sheds much needed light. Then they remembered what was written, and they saw how the Lord's word was fulfilled, and the inspiration of prophecy, and it started to come together. It's the power of Scripture again, to know your Bibles, because it helps make sense out of life. By the way, glorification made a difference in the disciples' life, and glorification will make a difference in our life. I'm talking about our glorification, because there, will, there is much that we will never understand this side of heaven. There's just not. We won't understand it, this side of heaven. And we will be glorified. Romans 8, 17, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be what? Glorified. We will have glorified resurrection, resurrected bodies one day, and we will have glorified resurrected minds someday. We will understand. Suffering finally made sense. In verse 16, it said, then they had, that they had done these things to him, these things, the pain and the torture that the Lord went through and the death and cross and crucifixion the Lord faced. Then it finally made sense. There was purpose in the pain. Someday it'll finally make sense. There is purpose in the pain. There's purpose in the pain. That's what Scripture helps to make sense of life. Palm Sunday reminds us, worship His majesty, believe the Bible. Palm Sunday reminds us to speak up and out. Don't stay silent about the king. Open up your mouth. Proclaim His majesty. Verse 17, the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to testify about him. They just wouldn't shut up about Jesus. Verse 18, for this reason also the people went and met him. Why? Because they had heard 
From who? The people that wouldn't shut up about Jesus. That he had performed this sign. Keep on talking, keep on telling, keep on talking, keep on sharing. That's what they're doing. Now, this was a different crowd than the crowd in verse 12. The people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead. So this is the crowd that was with Jesus at Bethany. And they have stayed close by him. They're watching his every move. I mean, think about it. They were with Jesus as he approached that grave. They, they listened to Jesus call a man four days dead out of the tomb. They watched that man rise and walk and live again because of Jesus. This crowd is saying, we're not leaving this guy's sight. This is unbelievable. The closer to Jesus, the better for us. Now, I, I want you to see this. This crowd was staying close to Jesus, and you and I need to stay close to Jesus. You, you know who he is. You, you know what he's done. You, you know what he's capable of. You know how he's changed you. You don't walk away from one who raises the dead. You, you don't walk away from one who gives eternal life. You don't walk away from one who called you out of the grave of your stench and sin and saved you. You don't walk away from this one. Don't walk away from the Lord. And some of you are tempted. Where are you going to go? There's nobody better to go to than the Lord Jesus. There's nobody who loves you more. There's nobody more powerful. There's nobody who's coming again to reign and rule on this earth. You don't walk away from your Lord. You stay close to him and you speak up for him. And by the way, the reason they were speaking up for him is because they were staying close to him. And the reason some of you don't speak up for him is you're not close to him. Because when you're close to Jesus, you speak up for Jesus. And some of you need to get close to Jesus again. And you need to start speaking up for him again. It's time to start speaking for the Lord. You say, well, what do I say? Everybody has a testimony. You've seen him answer prayer. Talk about that. You've seen him provide for you. Talk about that. He saved you from your sins. Talk about that. Everybody has a testimony. Brag on your Lord. He's no less worthy to be bragged on. Brag on your Lord. He's no less wonderful to be talked about. His power hasn't waned. His grace and mercy hasn't faltered. His love hasn't faded. His love never gives up on me. How about you? Never gives up. Never gives up. Your testimony can make a difference. Look at verse 18. For this reason, what reason? The people went and met him. They wouldn't stop talking about him. In other words, you can be the reason people want to meet Jesus. You should be the reason people want to meet Jesus. Sadly, there's too many Christians out there. They're the reason people don't want to meet Jesus. Don't be one of them. Shine for your Lord. Live for your Lord. Speak up for your Lord. And be the reason people want to know about God. Be the reason. People want to know more about the Lord. They want to know more about salvation. They want to know more about church. They want to know more about the Bible. They, they want to know more about prayer. Be the reason. People want to know more about the Lord. Lazarus is a powerful testimony because they'd heard that he had performed this sign. Now, I want to speak to this for a second. As someone who is someday going to die, I'm going to die. How about you? 
As someone who's someday going to die, they're going to put me six feet under in the ground someday. Okay, that's what's going to happen to me. I hope you come to my funeral. Okay, all right. They're going to put me under. And since someday I'm going to die, I want to meet the one who raises people from the dead. How about you? If I'm going to die, I want to know the one who calls forth people from the grave. Uh, Since I'm going to die, I want to follow the one who is the resurrection and the life, because this life is really short. And I want to know the one who is the resurrection and the life. My daughter and I, we were on canvassing yesterday with a group of people in, in Plano, and we were talking to a guy named Doug. Doug was a bitter old man. And I kept trying to point him back to Jesus and letting him know life is short, buddy. And you need to come to know him before it's too late. You may be here this morning and you're just a bitter person. And you need to understand, you need to know Jesus personally as your Savior before it's too late because this life is really short. And you need to know the one who is the resurrection and the life and the one that calls forth people from the grave. You need to know God in the flesh. And, and, and by the way, you have already been raised, you who know Jesus as your Savior. What do you mean by that? Ephesians 2.5. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, what? He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Colossians 2.13. When we were dead in your, in, in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven how many of your sins? All of your transgressions. Man, you got something to speak up and speak out about. Don't hold back. Worship his majesty. Believe the Bible. Speak up and out. And Palm Sunday reminds us in verse 19 that there's no stopping Jesus. There is no stopping our Lord. Look at verse 19. The, the, the frustration of these Pharisees. They're, they're talking amongst themselves. And they're not talking about the weather or they're not talking about you know, worship or what to wear. Okay, You see, you're not doing any good. They're blaming one another. Look, the world has gone after him. There's always going to be haters. The Pharisees are the haters. These are the religious leaders of Jesus' day. These are the guys in charge of the Passover festivities, and they are haters. Their tongues are wagging, and they see crowds flocking to him and hear the praise lifted up for him and watch their influence diminish because of that Jesus. They're not happy. They're mad and they're frustrated and they're anxious and they're jealous because not everyone likes Jesus' popularity. Not everyone likes Jesus being hailed as the king and not everybody likes all the attention that's given to Jesus. And by the way, not everybody in this world likes Jesus. And if they don't like Jesus, they're certainly not going to like the followers of Jesus. And the Lord taught it very clearly. If they hate me, they're going to what? They're going to hate you. Sorry to disappoint some of you who are people pleasers. But if you love Jesus, the world will hate you. And if you follow Jesus, this world will hate you. You just need to understand that and deal with it. Okay? The religious leaders should have been the most happy. They were the least happy. They were the ones that knew the scriptures better than anybody else. It drives me crazy when I run into Christians who know the Bible so well and they're the least happy people I see. Something's wrong there, friends. By the way, there'll always be people mad at God and mad at his work. They drove by this morning seeing all the cars. Ah, church. (laughs) They they, they drive by. They've been driving by for years. They're building another building. I I mean, there's always going to be people that that hate the work of God and hate the people of God. They got a flyer in the mail this week invited them to Easter. And they threw it out. Let's send them another one. But anyway... (laughs) 
Don't expect everyone to be happy that you're happy in Jesus. Because I'm happy, clap along. They're not going to be happy. They're not going to want to clap along, friends. Haters will be forever frustrated. They are. Do you ever run into a hater? They're always frustrated. They're frustrated about life, and they're frustrated about themselves, and they're frustrated with people. You better look inside. If you're one of those very frustrated people, maybe you got a little too much hate in your soul. Understand that. They feel like failures. They failed to humiliate him with their trick questions, and they ended up looking like fools. They failed to discredit Jesus' miracles as works of Satan, and they failed to tarnish his name or reputation. They failed to dissuade people from following him with their false accusations, and they failed to arrest him time and time again. He would elude their grasp. And most importantly, the biggest failure in their life is they failed to see him for who he really is. He's God. He's the Savior. He's the King of kings. He's come to save us from our sins. Your biggest failure in life will not be seeing Jesus for who he is. That will be your biggest failure. Not seeing Jesus. And it will also be your most costly failure with eternal consequences. You must see this man for who he is. He is fully God. He is fully man. And he died for your sins to save you. Don't fail to see it. They also failed to realize Proverbs 21, 30. There's no wisdom and no understanding and no counsel against the Lord. In other words, you can't fight God and win. It can't be done. There's no wisdom and no understanding and no counsel against the Lord. You fight God, you lose every single time. And some of you Christians need to get this because you're fighting God. We talked about this before. You're fighting his word. You know what his word says. You're fighting his will. You know what his will is. And you keep fighting. There's no wisdom, no understanding, no counsel against God. You fight God, you lose every time. That's why you keep losing in relationships and losing your finances and losing your business and lose, lose, lose. Why? Because you're fighting God. You know, it's no fun to lose. You can start winning. Just start doing it God's way. Just start following the Bible. And all of a sudden, you'll, the joy will return because you'll, you'll start winning. And God has called you to win. Follow his word. You can't fight God and win. And then there's this powerful prophetic statement. Look, the world has gone after him. It was a problem for them as they see more and more people, his followers growing and growing, and everybody wants to go after Jesus. But their problem was really their prophecy. The world has gone after him. There's this beautiful hyperbole here. There's a worldwide impact they are predicting that Jesus is going to have. The world will go after him. It's bigger than they could have ever imagined. It's going to affect the entire world. And it includes people all over the world. Including the western suburbs of Chicago in a little town called Oswego. Where people gathered today on Palm Sunday. The world has gone after him. Jesus is truly conquering the world one soul at a time. He's conquering the world. One soul at a time. John three sixteen and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have what? Eternal life. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but say it with me, but that the world might be saved through him. 
let the grace of God conquer you. Let the love of God save you. Palm Sunday reminds us, let's say it together, worship his majesty, believe the Bible, speak up and out, and there's no stopping Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for these reminders from Scripture. May we live them out in Jesus' name. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Just take a moment right now and talk to the Lord. Maybe it's time to start speaking up and out. Make that commitment to God to stay close to him. Maybe you just need to worship him and praise him that he rode into that city to die for your sins. Thank him for forgiveness. Maybe the commitment is to start reading your Bible every day. Study your Bible. Memorize scripture. Get into it. Maybe it's just the confidence you need to have in the Lord. He's king of kings. He's coming back. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. For some of you here today, you're not prepared for his coming because you're not his child. And you may say, Scott, that's me. I I want God in my life. I, I need forgiveness of sins. What do I do? In the quietness of your heart, Just call out to him right now in faith. Just use words like these. Lord Jesus, I believe. Please forgive me. I I believe. I, I, I need your salvation. I believe you died on the cross for me. Lord, I place my faith in you to save me. I can't save myself. Please save me, Lord. Please forgive me of all my sin. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've called out to the Lord today, we would love to talk to you about that decision. Love to talk to you about what it means to have a relationship with him. You can open up your bulletin. There's a little tear-off section in there. You can write your name and mark one of those boxes.